Hey everybody, we're glad to have you here at the start of this new series. Jonathan and I fully intended for this to be a conversation between he and I. And our family has a stomach virus going through everybody. So he's not here. And so he sent the only one that was not sick. And those of you who know me well know that that is debatable. So we know he's not here and we know you're going to whine about it. So we decided we would throw a Super Bowl party in all three locations. So Jonathan, Nacho. So as you leave, please enjoy our Super Bowl preparation in any location that you are today. We are going to talk over the next two weeks about this subject of the struggle that many people have with anxiety, depression, and with suicidal ideations. We want to clarify at the beginning of this, we're not talking about being uh, overused or we're not talking about the phrase of anxiety being a cliche because everybody in America experiences anxiety in some way. We're not talking about, a, there are many assumptions and misinformation about all three of these subjects. And we're going to talk a little bit about what we think you need to know about each one of these things. I'm going to try and make this as non-clinical as I can. But let's talk for a little bit about what we struggle with that we may call real anxiety. We're not talking about just the feeling of being overwhelmed or worried about something or nervous about things because all of us experience that in one way or another. As a matter of fact, that nervousness and that fear and that desire to try and overcome things is innate in us, planted within us in the very small center of our brain. It's called the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism. And as human beings, God gave us that so that when we feel stressors or when we feel threatened in any way, the anxiety center of our brain is initiated. We start saying, okay, am I going to fight? Am I going to run? Do I just stay still? But with real anxiety, that fight, flight, or freeze center is exaggerated and becomes exaggerated over the course of life. It's hardwired in us to try and control stressors. Adam and Eve did. The very first couple in the Bible tried to do this. And because of their desire to try to control things, they fell out of relationship with God. We do the same thing sometimes with anxiety. In our attempt to try and control life or try and manage everything at our own power or by our own disposal, we become overwhelmed when we can't control it. So anxiety sometimes leads to things that we would call disruptive. It becomes disruptive to us in our lifestyle. Um, we would say uh, uh, that one in 13 Americans struggle with this kind of disruption in anxiety. It becomes a disorder for many people. Um, it becomes a fearful state. We feel stuck in the fear cycle that initiates in our brain. We start having phobias, fears of heights, fears of being in places that we couldn't get out of, elevators, etc. 
It has also distorted fears about our inability to do things. So we have a tendency to put off doing those things. That's when it becomes disruptive in our life. Panic attacks where we stop breathing. We feel the terror in our bodies. Obsessive compulsive disorders where everything has to be in a certain way or we are not able to function. That's when anxiety becomes disruptive. But I also want to talk about the time that it becomes debilitating. There are many times when our functioning abilities with anxiety becomes diminished to the point that we are unable to function in a way that we've ever been able to do. Sometimes we become afraid of things that are not real. Or a better way to say it is that our fear becomes out of proportion with what is a normal fear. Let me give you a prime example of that. Somebody may say, I cannot leave my house because I'm not going to survive if I walk out the door. I'm going to die. Can you imagine the kind of terror that that would cause if you really believed that false fear? So this is what real anxiety is in our life. I want to talk about a second thing, and that is real depression as it happens to us. Clinical depression. We're not talking about just having a blue day or a bad day or we experience sadness or frustration or we're down because of some situation or experience. Our boss doesn't talk to us in the way that we thought. Our spouse bites our head off and we have a completely down day. All of that does lead to some aspect of depression in our life, but we would consider that to be very mild, very mild in our lives. Um, 28 million Americans, one in four of you, struggle with some aspect of a mood disorder that we call depression. It's the leading cause of disability all across the world. Two aspects of it that I want to address today. One is that it is often fed by circumstantial stressors. We call this reactive depression, traumas that have happened to us, past events as a child or a younger adult that we've encountered that trigger our depression, neglect, abandonment, the lack of replenishing relationships where there's mutuality between two people, poor self-worth, losses, and grief reactions, whether that's our health, loss of our career, or someone that we love has passed away. All of this is circumstantial or reactive depressions. And we have a variety of ways that it causes stress in our life to the point where we start developing some depressive symptoms. And we'll talk in more detail about that as the week progresses. The second part I want to talk about is some is called chemical or biological depression. God made our brain with this remarkable ability, and it's fascinating when you think about it, that we can think and reason and feel. That's the center of your life. God gave you a brain that has that ability. Inside that brain 
In addition to that ability, God planted chemicals that float and communicate between the brain cells. And those chemicals regulate our sleeping patterns, our appetite, our sexuality, emotions, reactions to stress. When chemicals are sufficient in our brain, we address life in such a way that we can process what's going on. But if there's a depletion of those chemicals in your brain, it can lead to significant depression in your life. Depleted connections of the brain is what we would call biological or chemical depression. Now, can you have both? Absolutely. Stressors and circumstances, sometimes beyond your control, can lead you into chemical depression. Uh, folks who have depression in this way, major depressive disorders or chemical depression, may have it for weeks, even years. So we're not talking about just feeling blue. We're addressing what clinical depression really is. Here's a third thing that we need to talk about today. And that is I want to talk just a little bit about suicidal thoughts and tendencies. Real suicidal thoughts and tendencies. Not just feeling like, oh, Jesus, just take me. Hoping that God would come back and we don't have to do this. Not just wishes, but having a struggle with a lifestyle. We would say it in two ways. First of all, there's an isolation that we feel. This is lifestyle breakdown, where someone has reached a level of depression or anxiety to the place where they begin departing or shutting themselves off from life, isolating, withdrawing from living, giving up on living, preoccupied with thoughts of self-pity. Most folks who struggle with suicidal thoughts come to the place where self-pity becomes the thought that they have constantly. And it becomes an escape fantasy in their life. It is the way for me to get rid of this pain. They don't think about family. They're not aware of the consequences that this is going to cause. They are at first, but the sicker that they get or the more further into this isolated thinking, it doesn't matter. They'll be better without me. The future, it doesn't matter. I'm, I cannot endure the future because it's only going to get worse. And see, that's a distorted way of thinking because God has promised us that he's going to get us into the future. The second part of this is that we start developing thoughts and plans, not just isolating, but folks who are contemplating real suicide talk about ending their life. They have specific plans of doing it. They formulate those plans. They start developing the means to be able to act out those plans. And when they're going to do it, what time they're going to do it, how they're going to do it. The problem with families is we, when we reach this place, sometimes you don't even know that they've reached that low level. We're going to talk next week about what you do about this if your loved one is struggling with suicidal ideations. 
If someone is depressed in your family, if someone is struggling with anxiety, and so we will address that next week, and we're going to give you some more information, and I'll talk about that in just a little bit. Right now, I want to talk for just a second about some myths. These are things that we have heard a long time that are not true about anxiety, suicide, and depression. The first is this. True Christians shouldn't struggle with these things. Those who are walking in a walk with Christ and know him, this should not be an issue for them. I want to tell you, the Bible is replete with people, great heroes, who struggle with this. The Bible itself illustrates so well how real life is for us. I'm going to give you two examples. King David in the Bible has severe swings at times. Almost appears to be manic depressive in his episodes. When you're reading the book of Psalms, and David wrote most of the book of Psalms, David in one or two verses talks about being discouraged. Why are you downtrodden, O oh my soul? Why are you so low? God, you have forgotten me. And toward the end of the same chapter, he reminds himself that his hope is in Jesus. His hope is in God. He swings up and down throughout his life with this. And we're going to uh, read in just a minute some of David's writing in Psalms. A second illustration I want to share with you is the prophet Elijah. Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and 19 had a unique experience that many of us have sometimes. In chapter 18, he had a powerful, wonderful experience of being used by God. It was the greatest victory of his life where he stood against 450 prophets of Baal, the false god, and took care of all of them by himself, one-handed. Elijah had that great experience and then because Queen Jezebel spoke one order, she ordered, go get him. I'm going to do the same thing to him. Some wicked woman's words sent him plummeting into depression. And in 1 Kings 19, he reaches the place where he's under a tree and is begging God to take his life away. Suicidal ideations. In the span of one day, this occurs. Fascinating thing to me as a clinician is when you look at that chapter 19, God began the healing process with Elijah the exact same way we therapists do it today. He used the strategies that we still use in medical science to bring somebody out of this kind of deep depression. God sent an angel and told him, we want you to rest. And so Elijah, for a day and a half, had deep sleep and rested. And the angel sought to it that he was comfortable the whole time. Then God sent the angel to feed him, nurture his body, and God gave him wonderful 
nutritious food that replenished the chemicals in his brain. God told him, I want you to do, walk from this place to this mountain, several days journey, and God set him on an exercise plan to release endorphins in his brain. And while he walked along, God said, what's the problem, Elijah? And so Elijah began puking his feelings out to God. Oh, God, nobody loves you. I'm the only one who loves you, and you turn your back on me. Does that sound familiar to you? Of course it does. God began the process of helping him journal his feelings. Your therapist or your counselor says, I want you to journal your feelings. Oh, seriously? It's so good for you to be able to get rid of these distorted thoughts. Then God said to him, Elijah, I want, to, I want you to hear me. These are distorted lies that you believe in your head. They're not the truth. You're not the only one. There are many, many more that are serving me that you don't know about. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to send you some support. I'm going to send you Elisha, the next prophet. He's going to stand beside you and help you on your journey. Do you see, folks? You don't just struggle. Sometimes as Christians, we struggle with depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation. It's not how spiritual you are. It's how you use the things in your life to help you grow and mature and develop. Here's a second myth, and it says this. These things, the struggles that we have, are signs of weakness. Not true. It is signs that you are human. Again, all of us have weaknesses. All of us struggle from time to time. Not with the same thing, but all of us struggle. One of the common characteristics of some of the great heroes of the Bible is that they struggled. Moses struggled with inadequacy. He had low self-esteem. Peter was impulsive made quick and hasty decisions that he regretted. Paul had a thorn in his flesh that prohibited him from being all he wanted to be. He asked God three times to remove it. And God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. I'll take care of you just the way you are. Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane experienced anxiety to the point where his sweat became drops of blood, not wanting to have to go through what he was going to go through the next day on the cross. Jesus expressed clearly how human he was. All of us do not have weakness. It is a sign of us being human. Here's a third myth that we encounter. Christians shouldn't, shouldn't need counseling, therapy, or medication. All you need is Jesus. Well, it sounds good. It's not true. 
because we're human. Bible talks about us seeking advice. Solomon says, plans succeed through wise counsel. We need sometimes to talk through issues to be able to understand a perspective that we may not have. It's not wrong for you to take medication either. Uh, Many people, and you may have grown up in a home that said, you shouldn't take medication for this. You just need to be stronger. You need to follow Jesus. That's such a rigid and restrictive perspective on the life that we live as humans. We need to experience a more integrative approach to understanding that God uses all kinds of experiences for our good. Now, I'm going to share with you something that I share in my office whenever somebody says, I don't want to take medication. It's not what God wants me to do. I turn in my Bible to Mark chapter 2, verse 17, and show them this verse. Jesus said, if you are ill, you need a physician. If you are sick, go see a doctor. The creator that made you spoke integrative, holistic healing into our lives. Folks, this is a myth. If you need help, God has given you resources to seek out help. Here's a final one. This may be hard for you to hear. People who commit suicide go to hell. That is not true. That is a lie. Suicide has nothing to do with our eternal salvation. I want to show you what Paul says about this. Look here at these verses. Paul in Romans says, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Those of us who know him cannot be separated from God's love. And look what he says. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So where did this come from that you will go to hell if you commit suicide? Honestly, It is an attempt at being able to control people from not doing it. That's where it comes from. And it comes from our religious traditions in the past. The simplest way for a clinician to deal with this is just go, if you do this, you will go to hell. Guaranteed, you won't do it. The reality is, and we will talk about this in much more detail next week, the reality is, we must begin addressing the distorted thinking of your loved ones if they're thinking about doing this. We must love them to the place where we openly discuss it with them. 
So all of these myths. Uh, now, I want to talk very briefly and as we have this chance to close. These are things you need to know about these subjects. Here's the first. You are not alone. You may be experiencing this struggle today. You may be depressed today. And somebody invited you to come. And honestly, you're sitting here going, see, I stand on like a sore thumb. Everybody knows I'm depressed. Nobody knows you're depressed. Nobody knows you're struggling with this. Why is that? Because many of us in this room have some element of this struggle. And I want you to know this. You are not alone. There are people who have already experienced many of these struggles with you. One of the fascinating things that I challenge you to do is Google how many people have struggled with depression. And you will find a list that will be astonishing to you. Lincoln, Johnny Cash, Winston Churchill, Ellen, Princess Diana, Billy Joel, all struggle with depression. God is with you. It is not a sign that he's abandoning you. If you are stuck with this struggle, it is a sign that he's with you. I want you to see what, what uh, David says about this. David said, I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love. Again, Paul was talking about it in Romans. David's talking about it now. God's love cannot be lost by you. For you have seen my troubles and you are about the anguish and you care about the anguish of my soul. David knows this. God, you are with me in the middle of the difficulty, in the midst of the pain. Your unfailing love is with me. You need to rest in this reality. You are not alone in your struggle. Your God loves you. He's with you. Others have been there and faced a similar struggle. As a matter of fact, folks, we have about 80 volunteers in our church, mentors that we've trained, who've been through struggles just like this. And we're ready to bring some of them beside you if you want somebody to sit and pray with you, talk with you about what they learned. So you are not alone. Here's a second truth that you need to know. There is help. There's help for you. And we're going to go into great detail next week with this one. Uh, we're going to give you handouts and resources on how you can go and get your help. You can call us at Life Care, and we'll be glad to point you and refer you to help us in the community. Um, and I'm going to talk about a special event in just a few minutes uh, next week that we're having and offering to you. Um, here's the third thing. There is hope. There is hope. God wants to give you hope, confidence, that whatever you're encountering, you're not alone but he also has a plan in your life to overcome some of this. It is not, your illness is not who you are. I want you to hear me. 
Your identity is not what you struggle with. Your identity is who God says you are. And how he created you unique from all other people. Your identity defines who you are. Not your illness. Not your struggle. You are not your thoughts. You are not your feelings, even though they may sometimes feel overwhelming. They are guidelines. They serve as sensors for you to be aware of what's going on in your life, what you don't like, what you need to run from, what you're experiencing. Jonathan tells the story, I'm sorry he wasn't here to be able to tell you, but he tells the story of watching uh, Life University with Oprah. And Oprah had a guest on, and it was uh, Dr. T.D. Jakes, one of America's great preachers. And T.G. Jakes was talking about this anxiety and depression. He was answering questions from the audience. And one woman was very distraught, and she raised her hand, and he began addressing her. And she said, Dr. Jakes, I just feel like I can't overcome this. There's no victory for me. I've tried so many things. And T.G. Jakes took the moment and said this. Here's what I want to say to you. When God spoke to Joshua and told him to enter the promised land, he told Joshua, take the first step. And the land that your foot touches will belong to you. So I'm saying to you, dear woman, today you are here. You came today. This is your first step of victory. This now belongs to you. You are moving forward into healing. And I want to say the same thing to you. Today, because of circumstances or because of God's purpose in your life, that's why you're in this room. That's why you're at these locations. There's a divine power and plan from heaven for you to hear this. Today is your first day of victory. And there are many days to come, days of healing, days of forgiveness, days of recovery, days that you will adapt, days that you will flourish because you're taking the first step in reaching out, finding out, discovering, and being willing to ask for what you need. So many reasons ahead in your life for you to fight and make it. You have a God of hope that is with you, that will go before you, that is counseling in your spirit right now. And that God of hope reminds you of what is said in the scriptures. Look at what Paul says I pray that God, the source of hope, the source of hope, not just your creator, but one who understands your struggles and wants to give you or create for you hope in your life. He will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then, here comes the outcome, you will overflow with confident hope 
through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's God's treatment plan for you. That's his desire for you to live in the power of his forgiveness and love, restoring you whatever you may be struggling with. Let's pray together. Father, you are sufficient for every struggle we have in our life. God, you said in the Old Testament that you have a name, and that name is I am. I am that I am forever. You are transitional across past, present, and future. You have plans and purposes for us, not for destruction, not for distortion, but for hope and life. God, I pray that you would be that great I am in the hearts of those who are struggling today. Whatever they need, you are. Make them aware of your presence and power in this moment. And thank you for leading us into a future where you can help us with this struggle. You love us. Help us learn how to love you back. Your name.